Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Confessions of an IT Business Owner. We're so excited to have you back with us again today listening. I'm Taylor Thorson, and back again with podcast host and Connect Booster president, Ryan Goodman. Yeah. So excited to be back again. So looking forward to the episode. This was great. Yes. Today we have Joy Beeland, um, cybersecurity expert, has been around the channel for a really long time. Yeah. Kind of knows it all. Yeah. Started her... Uh, first IT service provider business back in 1997. Um, we've known her since about uh, 2014 when right. we started working with her at Connect Booster. Um, a couple of cool things that we're going to talk about. She's, again, a cybersecurity expert, and she originally was uh, exposed to this. She went to a lot of uh, uh, enterprise-type conferences, mm-hmm. you know, FBI uh, conferences, uh, talking about cybersecurity when um, smaller, medium-sized MSPs were needing even invited back at that time. Right. You know? I think that's one of my favorite things she talks about is how cybersecurity is so important for not only large corporations, but, you know, small to medium size as well. So, yeah. And that's a cool thing. You know, she, one of her visions was really to drive uh, uh, that cybersecurity uh, initiative from enterprise down to small to medium sized businesses to protect them. Right. Yeah. We have a lot of amazing information. Super excited about this episode. So, thanks again for tuning in. Joy, thank you so much for taking time out of your Friday to hang out with us here on Confessions of an IT Business Owner. Well, thank you. It's a blast to be here, and it's nice to see you again. Yeah, you as well. You as well. Um, we were we were joking a little bit before uh, going live on the podcast. Um, we were talking about whether we were going to be on video or not right now, and I'm like, Joy, your background looks like you are ready for a podcast anytime, any day, no matter what. Perfectly curated. I was like, why, why, why would we not do this on video? Your background's cooler than my background for sure. Well, thank you. Yeah, my home office. I think a lot of people made investments in home offices when this started a year ago. Yeah. And I was like, you know, if I'm going to be here every day for what eleven hours a day, right? I'm going to love it. So, thank you for that. Oh. You've done. You've done. You've done well. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna take a a, a little bit of a, a shift here and and dig into um, some early years in your mm-hmm. in your career. I'd love to have the audience learn. You know, how did you start in the IT industry? Man, I started in I'm gonna say 1997. I believe it sure. was. And it was before Google, you know, the, the, there was no mainstream internet happening at the time, not right. even PCs that were uh, affordable for home offices or for small businesses. Mm-hmm. I started as a business consultant. I had done that because I was always felt the most fulfilled serving in a capacity of the right arm person to the business owner to help strategize in what is the best way to carry out making the employees more productive implementing new programs, things like that. So in doing so, right in that time period, a lot of my small business clients started to receive their first computer for their business. Mm -hmm. And they would say, well, do you know anything about setting up this computer? And I was like, you know, I love computers. And I was a Mac baby back in those days. Yeah. So um, I learned how to work with PCs and it would set up their Mac or their PC. And then I realized that if I'm going to be of real value, I'll help them set up their accounting books. So Mm -hmm. I started to learn QuickBooks really well. Um, And it was about two years into that, that I realized I was enjoying the computer end of it more than the business consulting in in general. 
um, sure. as a focus. And I was enjoying the computer part more than the QuickBooks and accounting. So I kind of made that choice of I'm really going to learn everything I can about the computer perspective, the software, the applications, the troubleshooting and you know, troubleshooting was reading, reading a physical manual back then, right? <laughs> right. Um, so we've come a long way, but I call it tenacity. You know, I have that stick to that if I can't figure something out, I'm going to keep going until I try, even if I break it. And it turns <laughs> out that's a great skill for somebody learning computers. Because just learning things by the book and how to do it the right way does not help with troubleshooting. Sure. Now, we've had the pleasure of uh, working together, you know, in the past. And, you know, you had even gone through a couple of uh, iterations as, as we had worked together. Now, I may, I may butcher these. I did not prep this. If, I think when we first met, was it, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to really sound crazy here. Was it, was it, uh, was it LAIT girl or was it their pink hat IT first? Like, click clarify for me. No, you did it right. LAIT okay, girl was my okay. original business. Yeah. Okay. And in 2014, I rebranded to Pink Hat Technology right. Management. It was kind okay. of a nod to um, White Hat, Black Hat. Yeah. I was a female in cybersecurity, so I thought I'm yeah. going to go with Pink Hat. Um, and we really turned our entire focus to supporting environments through the lens of cybersecurity yeah. at that point in 2014. You know, and that's interesting. Um, because, uh, you know, at this point, I mean, you know, with your positions, you've since exited those businesses. And I'm going to ask you a couple questions about that here down the line. Um, but you're really you're a true thought leader, you know, in, in the cybersecurity space at this point. You know, speaking events, I, I know you, I noticed you host a panel on uh, the MVP program with uh, uh, Matt Solomon, ID agent and Wayne yeah. Gretzky. Uh, you know, it was great fun. Black Point, we had some really great vendors on with us. The panel itself was pretty A-list, I would say. Yeah, that's that's awesome. So, where did that passion come from? You know, uh, driving to become the cybersecurity expert you are today. Self-preservation. Hmm. I would love to say that I could see, um, you know, five years down the road, how valuable the cybersecurity experience and skills would be, but. Honestly, it was as simple as one of my clients who happened to be in a high-end financial business. It was a home computer. His wife had clicked on a UPS shipping label and he got ransomware. Yeah. In 2014, hardly anybody was working with ransomware, trying to troubleshoot it or clean it up. There's very little information. And it took 10 business days, hmm. $2,000 between the cost of the ransomware and clean, you know, wiping the whole drive, buying a new drive installing all the applications, all of that to make him whole. And that was just the home computer that wasn't an urgent thing, like a business computer might have been. Right. And it was one computer, not, you know, I think my largest client at the time was like 330 computers. And right. so after we finished that, I sat down with my team and I said, look, you know, we made it through this, but this will not be survivable for a 330 computer network with nine servers. And even if we are able to get make them whole again, the rest of my client base would have been completely ignored for that time frame when we would have been just hemorrhaging resources yeah. trying to yeah. make them whole. So self-preservation was the answer. Um, and then I realized there's not there at that time there was no information available for small businesses. 
We had, like, I'm a member of InfraGuard. I love the FBI, Secret Service, Cybercrimes Division, all these guys that are working so hard to help spread the, the message and protect us. I would go to those events and only enterprise level companies were showing up and, and being asked to attend those events. Right. But because I was an InfraGuard, I, I basically went anywhere that they were speaking to get to know them and said, what are you doing for small businesses? And and that in my mind is where I crossed the line of becoming more of a thought leader to try to understand there's a huge gap in resources for small businesses. This is something that I saw as a tsunami coming at them yeah. and said, I want to be on the front of that wave, protecting my clients so they don't get caught in it, as opposed to writing behind and trying to clean up that mess. So that's where the the pivotal thought change happened in the whole in our business. Our culture changed. All, the culture of all of our clients changed, hmm. and it was a really exciting time, Ryan. You know what's interesting? Um, you know, being in the industry again or, around that time. You know, you talking about. Uh, cybersecurity that happening in a home computer understanding what that would what that situation would have been like in you know a, a business environment that was not being talked about back then the way it is now where it's like one of the oh, yeah. primary conversations that's happening you know inside of the channel you know where a lot of the learning you know is is being driven around security cybersecurity um, how important was that to the growth of your MSP, you know, from an outsider looking in, that had to be a, a major differentiator for you in your market and allowed you to grow. I, I do think it was. I also became a huge advocate for increasing awareness with other MSPs, yeah. not just my own clients and other small businesses. Um, early on, one of my dear friends and colleagues was calling me Chicken Little because I, I kept trying to convince <laughs> other MSPs. We would always go to these events together because we, you know, we carpool, have a great time. Yeah. And um, I kept asking them to come to these FBI events and they would say, you know, the, the whole cybersecurity thing, it's not going to be what you think it is. Hmm. And it's not going to be that big of a deal. And um, you know, those are for the enterprise level companies. What they're saying doesn't even pertain to our businesses. And I was like, well, then let's make them pertain to our businesses. You know, yeah. I, was, I was very adamant about it. Um, but yeah, it was, you know what the value was for me is that it taught me to speak the language of risk very early on. Sure. I think that that's where a lot of the MSP struggled um, 2014 to maybe 2016, 2017 which is where I see that most of the MSP started to realize this is very serious and yep. started to learn as much as they could about how do you sell and market cybersecurity. But the conversations I was having with my clients had to be in their language mm -hmm. about something that would impact the bottom line of their business, whether it was through you know, actual extortion um, or ransom or just the cost of the downtime and trying to make their business whole again. So I learned to speak that language of risk and business impact very early on. And that I think is what helped me the most in excelling the, the revenue, cybersecurity revenue for our business, yeah. but also in just really being a vocal member of the community on helping people understand how to speak about it. Well, I think you've proved the chicken little theory wrong. <laughs> I think, I think. I think that's. I love that nickname, though. <laughs> it is good. 
we'll keep it going. <laughs> so I'm going to shift gears on you a little bit here. Um, and this is, this is really dealing with the uh, decision to sell your MSP. Um, you know, what, what led into that decision for you as a, as a business owner and a person? I was having this conversation yesterday with another MSP and it boils down to the blood, sweat and tears that goes into being the business owner, mm -hmm. carrying all of that responsibility, carrying all of the liability. Um, you know, I had grown, I had averaged about 10 people on my team. I didn't want to get much bigger. Sure. Um, in the amount of employees, it was a really nice revenue level that we had hit. Things were comfortable that way, but I felt number one, like after 21 years of doing that, I, I kind of felt like I've served my time sure. and, and I deserve to go and do something with the skill set that I was learning that I thought, um, and, and honestly, I didn't entertain selling the business. I was hmm. looking at what other things can I do as part of maybe starting another MSP, MSSP right. focused only on security or something like that. But um, I had been a member of Continuum's Partner Advisory Council for a few sure. years and several trips out to Boston, having conversations with their executive team. Um, and at one point, Bob Kosis, the Chief Revenue Officer, and I were having lunch and and they were talking about licensing my security training because I had cultivated mm -hmm. my own security awareness training at that time. We didn't have the like the no befores and there's yeah. so many vendors out there now, but they were just starting to really kind of get into the um, small business market and hardly any were even speaking to MSP. So I sure. was selling my security program and Bob and I were talking about licensing that to Continuum over lunch. And then he just like threw out, or you could just come work for us because we really, really need you to teach this to MSPs. And in that moment, do you know, it's just like when I started my business and I had a vision of what that could look like. In that moment at that lunch, I thought I could actually carry this message of risk and business impact to a nation, to the, yeah. on a national level, instead of affecting the security posture of those in Los, Los Angeles, you know, yeah. the, the business community that I was serving. And that felt like a calling that I needed to pay attention to. Oh, that's cool. That's really neat. Yeah. What, what challenges did you encounter through that process? And those could be professional, personal, you know, that's, that's a big decision. It was emotional. Yeah. It was very emotional. You know, it's, I had a loyal and amazing staff. Um, you know, I was a rare female MSP owner. Right. And they had a lot of trust in me. And it was crucial to me, um, in, in addition to the amazing clients that I had, I, I had about half of my clients were nonprofits. And um, and so they had a mission and a purpose, and I served right. them well behind that. But right. um, emotionally, it was just so crucial that anybody that might take over my clientele and working with my employees that number one, I wouldn't lose any staff members. Mm -hmm. that nobody would be, you know, sorry, you're gone. Or right. that they wouldn't, you know, a buyer wouldn't come in and say, we're going to cut the bottom 50% of the list, or we don't want to work with nonprofits or whatever that might be. And there was a lot of scrutiny and potential buyers in that regard. You know, they would say, literally would say to me, we love the client list, but we don't need any of your staff. Mm. And I'm like, that's a no, that's a no, no game. Go. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, and so it was about 
I don't know, six months, maybe a little longer of, you know, like courting different potential buyers and trying to keep that under wraps to protect the privacy and, and, you know, for all of the smart business reasons that you don't talk about it with your staff or your clients, it was very emotional because I was going through all of this internally and not able to talk about it with the people that I was with day in, day out. That was very hard. Any, uh, you know, what advice would you would you give to other MSPs that are considering selling their MSP? Looking back at it now, I had started to do a few things that really served the business well. One was that I was traveling like a maniac. I love mm-hmm. traveling. And that forced, if you will, um, much less reliance on me personally sure. being there. And my staff was very, uh, just amazing at taking the reins and doing, you know, whatever, making good, crucial decisions on their own. And um, so that was a huge thing that I knew I'd be able to step out without leaving this huge void and that they would feel confident that they could do that. Yeah. So that was the first thing is like learning to have um, me not there. Um, The second thing was my intense focus on cybersecurity. I think that there's still... A tremendous amount of MSPs out there, not nearly the quantity that there was even a year ago, but their core business line is IT infrastructure. And they do really, I still hear MSPs tell me, look, a firewall and good antivirus is really all that you need. And I'm like, yeah, no, not at all. (laughs) Um, And I think that buyers now are looking to bring in shops that number one, they feel confident don't have some kind of a intruder already on the network that they hadn't detected. Right. Um, So some invisible uh, or, or not apparent liability baked into that purchase. Sure. Um, and number two, have a good security stack that matches well with what they're doing. Sure. So there's some people out there that are, are like doing their own home-baked version of what their security stack looks like. But if you stick with some of the mainstay vendors, you know, that um, are easy to fold into another stack. Sure. Um, that's a, a good way to do it. That's really valuable advice. That's that's great, tangible advice. Hey guys, here with a quick break from our show to remind you to subscribe and leave us a review wherever you're listening. If you have suggestions for future episodes or you want to be a guest on the podcast, email us at podcast at connectbooster.com or send us a message on Facebook or Twitter and we'll be sure to point you in the right direction. Lastly, to find out more about our guests, check out their information in the podcast description. Thanks for listening to the confessions of an IT business owner. Let's get back to the show. So after selling, I mean, did you dive right in? I mean, was it like, boom, boom, next week, I'm I'm uh, full-time into cybersecurity? I did. Wow. I think I had a 10-day trip to Hawaii. <laughs> okay. It was the first time in my adult life that I literally didn't have a job. And for those 10 days, it was so blissful, Ryan. You know? <laughs> I didn't have to look at my cell phone one time. Um <laughs> And then, yeah, when I hit the ground running, they started me off by flying to, to Boston and then Pittsburgh and working with their team. And in that first seven months before Continuum was acquired by ConnectWise, I was traveling about 75% of the time. Okay. And I want to say I did either two or three trips to Australia. I did the Philippines. I did wow. London. Um, 
along with a ton of cities in the United States. And I was developing content and I was developing our cybersecurity training program, which we called the Certify Fundamentals, um, two different tracks with my team members while I was doing all of that. So I became a road warrior, you know, working on every plane and every airport, listening to podcasts while I'm riding in Ubers, you know, it was just a, a complete whirlwind and it was super fun and, and so fulfilling with the amount of MSPs that I was able to spend time with. Well, that's really cool. So, you know, as you, as you dove into that, you're creating content. I mean, uh, 10 day break, right back into work, you know, serving the community, serving the channel. Um, on that education role, what steps should MSPs be taking to strengthen their cybersecurity expertise? There's so many different ways to approach it. And I think that number one, it depends on the size of your business as to how do you um, consider the ratio of what are you going to outsource versus what are you going to keep internal as far as the managing the cybersecurity tool set, leveraging expertise in cybersecurity. Um, so number one, your size and your resources. Number two, if you have a particular vertical that you're supporting, sure. then being able to, in, in most MSPs that have a, a very uh, high ratio of a vertical already are, are very adept at navigating compliance and regulations for that industry, right? So um, that's the other thing is that right now what I see is that MSPs are out there going, look, we have so many different frameworks out there, cybersecurity frameworks. How am I supposed to know which one is the winner to choose and go with? Sure. A lot of them have um, crossover with other frameworks and you can map them that way so that you can see, look, if I'm going to do an 853 assessment, I can see how that maps to a CIS controls or FISMA sure. or the, um, or HIPAA or yeah. 800 whatever that is. But there's some confusion and rightly so. Um, I think what we're expecting is that there will be some kind of legislation on the MSP industry. Right. And, and so, being in a position where whichever one you chose is not too, if, if that's not it, it's not too far off to make that, that gap analysis and then jump over to the new framework is, is going to be interesting to see how that shakes out. It is. Um, in one of the earlier episodes, um, that subject uh, was, was brought up a lot around uh, MSP um, regulations, you know, coming into the space. Um, I'm going to I'm going to make myself sound uh, uneducated if I try to uh, quote all the statistics that I had um, before. But the fact of the matter is um, this could move really, really fast, just like some of the uh, consumer um, data privacy laws. There was GDPR, then all of a sudden California legislation, then boom, every state had a, a policy around that. Um, do you anticipate that the MSP regulation mirroring that um, or is it more I like, do. well, just have have your eye on the ball here and, and be prepared. Both. I anticipate yeah. it happening sooner than later. Um, I do think that it's some kind of a um, indicator to see that the DOD has aligned now with CMMC. Yes. And that accreditation body 
to mm-hmm. choose the 800-171 standard along with the maturity model of it um, as they're, you know, they're getting it baked. They're pretty close to having it completely baked. That's the field that I've been playing in now for about six months. Sure. And we see frequently in news reports, all of these other government agencies that are announcing in the media that they're taking a serious look at CMMC. So they're just kind of waiting to see how this rollout goes. And then my expectation is they're going to jump in with both feet and say, not only if you're a supplier to the DOD, but if you're a supplier to any of the other government agencies, one by one, I see them tacking on that as their standard. It would make sense. Um, The other thing is that in just the DOD in um, defense industrial base, that's like 350,000 businesses across the United States at a minimum that will have to have some level of CMMC certification right. to continue to bid on these contracts. And I've heard as high as 475,000 businesses, but a lot of those businesses, if you look at them, they have MSPs doing their IT infrastructure right. and their managed security. So the MSP is going to be pulled in and have to speak that language, whether or not they personally become part of the scope of the assessment, the MSP, or if they are there to just help prepare the client to be ready for the assessment or to be the um, contracting project management firm that works with a a professional CMMC consultant to get their client ready. And in that regard, because the MSP community is quickly becoming so much more educated about CMMC, um, we have a handful of the, the biggest and the brightest that have embraced it, called me you know, within my first month of being at Edwards and said, not only do we wanna know everything you can show us about CMMC, we wanna be assessed ourselves at level yeah. three and, and do that proactively, even though they, they don't handle any you know, um, controlled and classified information. And so you can see that there are MSPs that I, I believe the smart ones that are aligning that to that framework so that they can also use it as a business development effort to get all of those 350,000 businesses that are unhappy with their MSP, who may not be familiar at all, and, and yet they're going to lose a DOD contract if their right. MSP doesn't help them get through the assessment. So, um, yeah, I think that the MSP industry as a whole whether it's CMMC, whether it's any other type of compliance, um, every single one would do well to pick one and get as far into it as they can. It's a necessary expense. But if you think about it, you know, that was one of the things that I think made my MSP successful in um, moving forward so quickly with cybersecurity is that we would test all of those tools implement one or two um, and do that, you know, 30, 60 day period before we'd even talk to a client about it. And we could walk in and say, look, this is going to make your your life a pain in the ass. But if you don't start using two-factor authentication, you're in big trouble. This Mm -hmm. is back in 2015, 2016, you know, when, and we would say, we we feel your pain we know number one you didn't sign up for this number two you don't want to have to pay for it you don't want to be slowed down in your work um but we had to do all of that ourselves 
and they trusted so much more the fact that we did all of that ourselves before we came to them and asked them to do it. Right. And I think that's the same thing with compliance frameworks. This sounds uh, uh, very parallel to you being ahead of the curve in the cyber game in your in your service provider business. Um, yeah. Same thing. This is not this is not a chicken little scenario. Uh, this is coming, so be prepared. You heard it from Joy. Not She's not been wrong. In fact, the odds are on her side, so you should probably pay attention here. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's great. Um, what do you think is the hardest part of educating uh, MSPs today on cybersecurity? Do you do you do you still run into a lot of that uh, doubt, even though this is a you know pretty pretty public subject or you know where where are the tripping points it's such a good question Ryan the hardest part about educating the MSPs that I work with is educating them in a way that they can turn around and educate their clients mm. so there's one thing about being book smart and being able to take a test there's another thing about digesting that information so it's immediately usable and you can turn around and explain it to somebody else in completely different words because you have taken on a passionate belief and mission in knowing that that's the important thing to do. So well, I think that a lot of MSPs are, are open to being educated about technology, about give us a tool that will help us protect our client's environment and that is the same kind of brain process where you learn any other type of technology like a programmer or a system developer um being able to educate an msp on speaking about business impact and risk and um being able to take a breach example or a near breach example and relate it in a story without you know, it's not all doom and gloom. The, the right. fear, uncertainty, and doubt kind of thing doesn't doesn't resonate the same way because people are just deaf to it now. They're like, well, my business is f***ed. That's basically, mm -hmm. a, sorry, um, Jack's probably not going to do that. Most small business owners are, are looking, they're like, everyone's getting breached, right? Yeah. So you can't speak that language of fear, uncertainty, and doubt anymore. That's not going to resonate. You have to speak about the the, number one, give your business a competitive edge by investing in doing mm. this well and being able to prove to your own clients or prospects that their relationship is safe with you. So use it as a selling, up, an upsell really, yeah. and, and for business development, but also in um, being able to educate MSPs in changing culture. You know, a lot of, uh, what I see out there is still that they make people wrong for clicking on things that they shouldn't, but they didn't do the proper, really in-depth culture transformation required so that somebody's behavior changes because they're excited to change their behavior, not because they have to, or being pissed off that they have to do this or that, where they just want to get their job done, you know? That's interesting. I saw a really, um, I can't remember where I saw this presentation, but it was uh, from the perspective of an employee that clicked on something and created a problem inside of their business. And giving them the perspective of how that employee, the emotional trauma they themselves were going through 
because they weren't trying to create a problem. And now there's this problem inside of the business that, that they cared about. It wasn't their business, but they were employed there and they, they held their employer in high regard and um, you know, how, how to change that attitude and, uh, of the end user to make them understand, you know, there's, it's there's traumatizing. some, yeah, it's there's traumatizing some emotional consequence there, you know, cause of the business going down. Agreed. Agreed. Absolutely. You know, that would be a heavy, heavy burden. Right. And so, um, I found that to be a really cool, unique way of, of, um, um, education. Yeah. There's Tools. a lot of data coming out to the psychological impact of cybersecurity. Hmm. and of being made wrong when you do something that you shouldn't do. Um, you know, the, the balance of being able to um, coerce and influence a change in behavior positively hmm. versus some kind of repercussion for doing something that you shouldn't. And, um, you know, it's the language is changing. The um, behavior analysis, the influence, all of the psychological factors is coming into play as a substantial part of cultural transformation so that people understand it, it, it it's almost like making them heroic for embracing and being the one right. to say well wait a minute if we don't do this this way doesn't that leave us vulnerable like i'd love to have that come out of the mouth of the 70 year old reception right and at some point we can get there. I truly believe it. But a lot of it is educating the MSPs, um, internal IT, old school um, CTOs, CISOs, um, who are all about the technology controls that you can't just put another, turn another button on and expect that person to think any differently about what they're doing. Correct. Right. Oh, that's that's cool. I, I appreciate the perspective. Um, now I know it's Friday. We'll wind things down. I will let you get into your weekend. So again, I really appreciate you. The last two I've had on Friday, I'm like, oh man, we we're top schedulers here. <laughs> Friday afternoons. Um, before we wrap things up, any any final advice you'd like to uh, share with the MSP audience today? Yeah, I should have thought of that before I sat down with you. I have a little bit of the COVID brain happening right now because I just oh, got my worries. second shot. Oh, um, yeah. yeah. There you go. I think the the advice is just to continue to do as much of the peer groups mm -hmm. and reaching out for information as you can. It's I'm overwhelmed at how active like the LinkedIn communities are. You get right. into the right communities, you get connected to the right people, and there is a plethora of free information that is solid advice. And I have really enjoyed discovering those new avenues of learning. Um, and it's almost like I have a whole new posse online that I never would have known about had I not gone through this COVID and, and having a, a job search on my hands, yeah. you know, last year where I, I networked like crazy and what a wonderful benefit came from that. Oh, that's cool. That's that's great advice. Well, Joy, thank you so much. Enjoy your weekend. And I'm looking forward to the next time we can meet in person. Oh, me too, Ryan. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. You bet.